Okay, what I'd like to do today for our TLM class five, which might be our very last, and then next semester we'll probably do um, question and answer, and maybe we'll record those, I haven't exactly decided. What I'd like to do today is just review the ribbons one more time, the sections of the missile, and then go from the uh, creed, or rather the consecration to the Leonine prayers. We're going to go from the consecration to the Leonine prayers today. So let's just hold off on questions till the end, if that's okay, so we can finish it up, because I'm, again, I'm thinking of making next semester all question and answer, so uh, we're just going to go right through that. Remember, if you have your book, Missile there, I sort of divide it into seven segments, just so, you know, if you're not here, or even if you have a different missile, you can kind of know the difference on these things. So of those seven, and again, this is just an estimation on the pages, if we had to break up any of the 1962 family missiles into seven sections. The first of the seven is mostly devotionals. The second of seven sections is Sundays in Advent and Lent, as well as movable feasts in that time period. The third section, so we're kind of coming upon the middle of it, is going to be the Sundays after Pentecost. Also the movable feasts in those Sundays after Pentecost. And remember, we don't have anything called ordinary time. The Sundays after Pentecost is our replacement for ordinary time, or rather, ordinary ordinary time is a replacement for the Sundays after Pentecost. Um, right towards the middle, maybe we'll say section four of seven, is the ordinary, also called the Roman canon, and the prefaces. The Baronius has the prefaces before the ordinary, and the Angelus Press has the prefaces after the ordinary, or Roman canon. Fifth of the seven sections is common masses, and that's going to be really important Like when, we start, when I start showing you how to kind of Lego build saints' masses. A lot of times they pull the skeleton of the mass from what's called common masses. So like yesterday was St. Eusebius, which was a bishop and a martyr, and most of those propers actually came from the common masses. Only three propers were proper to St. Eusebius. The rest came from the mass of a bishop martyr. And so we're going to start building those next semester. And then the sixth of seven sections is the saints and the immovable feasts. This is actually the very first thing on daily mass I would have you probably look to. So if it's like, you know, June 2nd, you're going to want to look in this sixth of seven sections. So really towards the back, find the calendar of days and actually see if there's a saint there. If there's not, it'll be a feral day where you're going to revert to either a Sunday in Advent or Lent or a Sunday after Pentecost. But on a weekday, the very first thing I would encourage you to look up, if you're not using like uh, one of the apps to help you, is go straight to about six of seven sections in. In other words, towards the end, find the date and see how it encourages you to build the properties. Usually it's going to bring you to a common mass, um, Again, a common of, say, a bishop martyr. Sometimes it has you actually have to get readings from two common masses, and that gets, it's a little bit of a headache. It, it can get complex, but it's also sort of fun. Once you get good at it, you kind of feel smart knowing how to go into two common masses, so that's good. And then the last section, seven of seven, would be votive masses and more devotionals. Votive masses can replace third-class feasts, and that would be, uh, the ones we went over, Monday's the Angels, Tuesday's the Apostles, Wednesday St. Joseph, Thursday several options including the Blessed Sacrament, Friday is Sacred Heart or the Passion, and Saturday's always Our Lady. So that's our ribbon review, and maybe we'll, what we'll probably do next semester when we re- restart the class is we'll probably go through some of the saints to kind of learn uh, how you put those together.
but we'll continue meditating on the Mass of the Immaculate Conception here. We're going to go from the consecration of the bread and the wine of the body and the blood to the end of Mass, including the Lenine prayers. And we're, once again, we're going to look at the words and the meditation of St. Francis de Sales and finish with a little bit of what happened with Leo XIII, his vision of Christ and Satan, and why he gave us these prayers at the foot of the altar. Because that vision that St. Leo had, or rather Pope Leo XIII had his Mass finished of Jesus and Satan talking, um, which is pretty unprecedented. We don't really hear a lot of stories of, I should say accounts, because I'm very, very, very convinced this was a true apparition. We don't hear a lot of accounts after Acts of the Apostles of, you know, um, Pope speaking of their private revelation. So this is very, very important for the 20th and the 21st century. Okay, so let's jump into the words of the consecration. You might want to get out your Roman canon or the ordinary, as it's called. And the words, of course, I'm saying them in Latin, but it's, it's good to look at the English. And a lot of people, I've never really went to the Latin Mass growing up or even in high school or college or even in seminary. So I don't know how this works, but people have told me they get really good at learning the hand signs, where they're moving their hands, and every, or rather, people get good at looking at what the priest is doing, that they can start to learn what his words are in Latin, and somehow they can keep one eye on the Latin, one eye on the English. So I think <coughs> as you get good at this, you'll be better. But we're just going to look at the English today. So the words of consecration is who the day before he suffered took bread into his holy and venerable hands and with his eyes lifted up towards heaven unto thee, God, his almighty Father, giving thanks to thee, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat ye all of this, for this is my body. And as you know, the Latin is hoc est enim corpus meum. And I actually whisper that in low mass, misa cantata, misa solemnis, or the bishop in misa pontificalis. I forgot to mention that last time. The... The highest form of a sung mass is the Misa Pontificalis. Pontificalis sounds like Pope, but it's actually Latin for bishop. So whether it's the bishop of Rome or the bishop of somewhere else, if you have a bishop, um, it's the highest form of a sung mass, and there's a few differences. Uh, it's not six candles lit like the Misa Solemnis. It's actually seven candles lit. Um, so there's a few differences. So St. Francis de Sales, this is what he tells us we should uh, meditate on during the consecration. Jesus being nailed to the cross. Lord Jesus Christ, who was nailed to the cross for my redemption, attaching to it through thy sacred flesh my sins and the eternal punishment due to them, grant me thy saving fear, that resolutely observing thy holy precepts, I may ever be attached to the cross with thee. So when I say hocus enim corpus meum, when you see me leaning over and saying that, isn't that a beautiful meditation that you should be thinking of Christ's sacred flesh and being attached to that your sins and the eternal and the eternal punishment due to them. He says attaching it to thy sacred flesh my sins and the eternal punishment due to them. Then of course as you know the next thing that happens is the elevation of the sacred host. This is where you adore our Lord. And St. Francis de Sales tells us we should meditate on the cross of Jesus being elevated between heaven and earth. His prayers my Lord and my God, Lord Jesus Christ, who is pleased to be elevated on the cross and exalted above the earth for love of me, detach my heart, I beseech thee from all terrestrial affections and elevate my understanding to the consideration of heavenly things. Consecration of the wine. The words from the Roman canon are, I'm saying this in Latin, but in English, it's in like manner after he had supped, Taking also this excellent chalice into his holy and venerable hands, he blessed, and I bless it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, and then I lean over, 
Take and drink ye all of this, for this is the chalice of my blood of the new and eternal testament, the mystery of faith, which shall be shed for you and for many unto the remission of sins. As often as ye do these things, ye shall do them in remembrance of me. Then you see me lift the precious blood in the chalice. St. Francis de Sales would have us meditate on the blood flowing from the wounds of Christ. Lord, have mercy on us, he prays. Lord Jesus Christ, thy sacred wounds are the inexhaustible source of all grace. Grant then that thy precious blood may purify my soul from all evil thoughts and prove a salutary remedy for all my spiritual miseries. Okay, let's continue in the Roman canon. Um, then I place it down and notice that there's several genuflections for the priest, and when I finally come up, I keep my hands about eight inches from each other as I'm adoring the host and the blood. And I say, Wherefore, O Lord, we thy servants, as also thy holy people, calling to mind the blessed passion of the same Christ, thy Son, our Lord, and also his resurrection from the dead and his glorious ascension into heaven, do offer unto thy most holy majesty, excuse me, thy most excellent majesty of thine own gifts, bestowed upon us a pure host, a holy host, an unspotted host, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Let's talk about a couple of things in there. As a priest sort of gets going in his um, adoration of the sacrifice, he'll sometimes just get different things that he's praying for. And what has come into my mass at this point is I pray for the end of all child slavery at this point because as I say, a pure host, a host is actually a sacrifice. And I think of how many children are involved in um, that type of slavery that will go unmentioned. It's actually two million in the world. And because that's so close to my heart, because host means sacrifice, I actually am asking Jesus to just replace all these innocent sacrificial children on the, in the world with himself. So I always pray this part of the Mass for um, child slaves in the world, especially the two million in that unspeakable way. As I say, a pure host. Again, a host is... A sacrificial lamb. So this pure sacrificial lamb, this holy sacrificial ma- lamb, this unspotted sacrificial lamb. And so I think of how these children are these unspotted sacrificial lambs led to the slaughter of men. And I ask the Lord just to take their place. So that's what I pray at this part of every single Mass, no matter what the Mass is for. And by the way, the priest should only have one intention for the Mass, but that doesn't prevent me from having a couple sections in the Mass where I especially pray for one particular item. And also, I can have a thousand things in my mind, or I guess the holier you are, the more you can do. So I can't have many, but Padre Pio would have, you know, somehow, because he was so close to God, he had thousands of people in his mind at once. Now, he always had only one specific main mass intention, but maybe you've heard that story of one of the guys he denied absolution to. He denied absolution to a lot of people. And uh, one guy left... And he didn't come back for, with repentance in his heart and firm resolution of amendment for 20 years. And he thought he was just one number of many among Padre Pio. And he caught him outside the confessional and he said, you probably don't remember me, but, you know, 20 years ago you scared me off and now I've had my conversion. I want to come back. I'm repenting. I want to go to confession. You probably don't remember me. And Padre Pio, from this part of his habit, he pulled out a little piece of paper and said, I've been praying for you for 20 years. Mm. You know, so he... Nobody was just a number. He heard two million confessions in his life, but nobody was just a number to him. He, if he denied absolution to somebody, it broke his heart. And he focused on this and prayed for this person for the rest of his life. So people describe him as just a grumpy guy who didn't care for people, but he really loved them deeply. And he was grumpy. 
but <laughs> but he loved them deeply, you know. So anyway, back to the uh, the Roman canon there. The first part after I'm done with the genuflections. And then I say, upon which vouchsafe to look with a propitious and serene countenance and accept them, and them as these sacrificial items of the body and blood being separated, as thou wert graciously pleased to accept the gifts of thy just servant Abel and the sacrifice of our patriarch Abraham, and that which thy high priest Melchizedek offered to thee, a holy sacrifice and unspotted victim. It's another word for host. You can see why I asked the Lord to replace these children at this moment. We most humbly beseech thee, Almighty God, command these offerings to be borne by the hands of thy holy angels to thine altar on high, in the sight of thy divine majesty, that as many as shall partake of the most holy body, and you see me do the sign of the cross over it, and blood, and do the sign of the cross over the chalice of thy son at this altar, may be filled with every heavenly grace and blessing, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, when I was learning the old mass, one of the things that really bugged me is, why am I a priest, a sinner, blessing the Son of God on the altar. Has that bothered anybody else to see, like, after the consecration, me going like this? Like, I get all the blessings over the bread and the wine, but why in the world am I doing this sign over the living body and blood of the Son of God here? The answer is it's an indication. It's, it's pointing to it, saying this is the sacrifice. So I'm not actually, you know, because, as it says in the Old Testament, that the superior blesses the inferior. So isn't that a little bit weird? How can... How can the priest be blessing the consecrated species of the second person of the Trinity? It's not blessing. It's, it's an indication with my hands after that. Okay, so just keep that in mind. After the consecration, it's more a pointing where all the crosses before that is, in fact, numerous blessings. Okay, then is the memento for the living. Remember also, Lord, thy servants and handmaids. And then I actually speak these two names, and that's when, if it's a sung mass, my MC ste- steps away. So just to give me privacy, and I'll say people out loud. And I'll usually say out loud the person who Mass is being offered for, and maybe a few other people who are gone before us. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the memento for the dead. I apologize. This is the memento for the dead. Remember also, Lord, thy servants and handmaids, so-and-so, who have gone before us with a sign of faith, and rest in the sleep of peace. To these, O Lord, and to all that rest in Christ, grant we beseech thee a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And St. Francis de Sales says that the memento for the dead, we meditate on Jesus praying for all men. The prayer he gives is, Lord Jesus Christ, who didst pray on the cross for all men, even for thine executioners, grant me the spirit of meekness and patience, that according to thy precepts and example, I may love my enemies and cordially return good for evil. Okay. Then uh, you see me hit my chest as I say, um, nobis quoque peccatoribus. That's one of the only things you'll hear me say out loud. And that's where we meditate, according to St. Francis of Sales, on the conversion of the good thief, Dismas. His prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who didst promise the joys of heaven to the penitent thief, look on me with eyes of compassion and say to my soul at the last moment of my life, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So the priest is calling himself a sinner at this point, and he is saying it very loudly before everybody else. I think that's one reason that this... Inspired Mass has it whispered, but him say that out loud. A lot of the things the priest says out loud is very penitential, you'll notice. When he says, I'm not worthy, and he calls himself a sinner, those are supposed to be spoken boldly. 
Okay, the Roman, Roman canon continues. To us also thy sinful servants, confiding in the multitude of thy mercies, vouchsafe to grant some part in fellowship with thy holy apostles and martyrs, with John, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, Felicitas, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and with all thy saints, into whose company we beseech thee to admit us, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses through Christ our Lord. By whom, O Lord, thou dost ever create, sanctify, you see me, do the sign of the cross, but again, it's an indication. Bless, do the sign of the cross, and give unto us all these good things by him and with him, and then I take up the host by him and with him and in him and the three crosses with the host over the blood. To thee, God, the Father Almighty, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor, world without end. Amen. Okay, then we have the Our Father. So let us pray, instructed by thy saving precepts and following thy divine institution, we are bold to say, Our Father who art in heaven. Okay, you know that. Uh, you know that prayer. One of the things that St. Francis de Sales, or I should say the main thing that Francis de Sales has us meditate on as the priest is saying the Our Father is, again, you want to picture Jesus on the cross. And I, some people never saw, like my spiritual direction seminary, never saw Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, because he wanted his own meditations to never be tainted by another man's meditations. And that's great. Personally, I love The Passion of the Christ, so I often try to think of this movie when I'm offering Mass. So, um, at the Our Father, we should be thinking, according to St. Francis Sales, whether you use the movie by Mel Gibson or not, try to meditate on you know Jesus close to expiring in the seven last words. Quote, Lord Jesus Christ, who from the cross didst recommend thy blessed mother to the beloved disciple, and the disciple of thy mother receive me, I beseech thee, under thy protection, and grant that amidst the snares and perils of this world, I may never lose the treasure of thy friendship, close quote. And uh, don't be afraid to write down any quotes or questions you may want to um, discuss uh, after we're done here. Okay, then I break the host. I pray, deliver us, we beseech thee, O Lord, from all evils, past, present, and to come. And by the intercession of the blessed and glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and of thy holy apostles, Peter and Paul, and of Andrew, and of all thy saints, mercifully grant peace in our days, that through the assistance of thy mercy we may be always free from sin and secure from all disturbance. Through the same Christ, through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth God, world without end. Amen. St. Francis of Sales says that the division of the sacred host, we should be meditating upon Jesus actually expiring on the cross, Jesus dying. And you can often hear the crack of the host way back there. Prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who before expiring on the cross, didst commend thy soul to thy Father, grant that I may die spiritually with you now, and so confide my eternal destiny with confidence to thy hands at the hour of my death. <coughs> then you see me put the particle of the body into the blood, and I either say or I sing at a sung mass, the peace of the Lord be with you always as I do three signs of the cross. <coughs> and you respond, and with thy spirit. May this mixture and consecration of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ be to us who receive it, effectual unto eternal life. Amen. St. Francis de Sales says that as the priest puts the particle of the sacred host into the chalice, we should be meditating upon the soul of Jesus descending into the limbo of hell. The prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who after overthrowing the empire of Satan, didst descend into limbo to liberate the souls in prison there. Apply, I beseech thee, the merits of thy blood and passion of the suffering souls in purgatory, that being absorbed, that being absolved from their sins, they may be received into thy bosom and enjoy eternal peace. So you can see, as I take that host and do three signs of the crossover, and I drop it into the precious blood, it falls. You can see why, as it falls into the abyss of the precious blood, as the body falls into the precious blood, St. Francis de Sales has a 
um, meditating upon two things. Jesus descending on Holy Saturday to the limbo of the fathers and the souls in purgatory who are there currently since they're already absolved from their sins one day soon, please God, coming into the bosom of Abraham. Well, rather our father's bosom since the bosom of Abraham was the limbo of the fathers. And then there's the Agnus Dei. And in Latin... Uh, well, here's the English of the Latin, rather, is Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Of course, that's different at a requiem mass, a mass for the dead. But St. Francis de Sales says, at this moment we should be praying for the conversion of sinners. So, you know, in the on you stay, whether it's being sung by the choir, or you hear me, and this is one of the words you hear me say out loud, on you stay, quitolis peccate mundi, miserere nobis. As you hear that, you should really be meditating upon um, sinners, you know, well, we're all sinners, but, you know, people you're especially praying for their conversion. Lord Jesus Christ, the contemplation of thy torments has excited repentance in many hearts. Grant me through the efficacy of thy painful sufferings and, and ignominious death, perfect contrition for my past offenses and the grace to avoid all willful sin. Okay, so he's actually applying that to himself. That's what a saint does. Three priest prayers of worthy communion. I want to read these to you because you may not follow them a lot, but it's really important to know when you see me leaning over after the Agnus Dei or in a sung mass concurrent with the sung Agnus Dei, um, they only kept one of these three in the new mass. But I tell you, I sure feel unworthy up there, and I enjoy every word of saying this in Latin. I really try to say it as if I were three feet from, or three inches from Jesus, because I literally am three inches from Jesus Christ himself in the flesh. So I really try to say this to him. Um, as I'm saying, I think my Latin's barely good enough to actually mean this now from my heart, because I do know what I'm saying for the most part. And so the English, though, is, O Lord Jesus Christ, who sets to thine apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Regard not my sins, but the faith of thy church, and vouchsafe to grant her the peace and unity, that peace and unity which is agreeable to thy will, who livest and reignest God, world without end. Amen. The second prayer I pray as I'm leaning over is, O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who according to the will of thy Father, with the cooperation of the Holy Ghost, hast by thy death given life to the world. Deliver me by this thy most sacred body and blood from all my iniquities and from all evils, and make me always cleave to thy commandments, and suffer me never to be separated from thee, who livest and reignest, with the same God, the Father, and the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. And... The third prayer is, Let not the partaking of thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, which I, though unworthy, presume to receive. Did you catch that? I'm The priest is saying to Christ himself that I, though unworthy, presume to receive. Same word in Latin, actually. Turn to my judgment and condemnation. In other words, don't let it become my condemnation, but let it, through thy mercy, become a safeguard and remedy, both for soul and body, who with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth God, world without end. Amen. This is really important because do you know what the Council of Trent says about being sure and of being in a state of grace? Both the Council of Trent and St. Thomas Aquinas teach the same thing. Can we know that we're in a state of grace? No. no we cannot know we're in a state of grace. There's two exceptions to this. Uh, Thomas Aquinas and or Trent give us certain signs that we could be in grace or in sin. Um... And I think it's a Council of Trent also does give an exception for like private revelation, but even those we have to be very careful with since obviously Satan can masquerade as an angel. So it's not to say that we should assume we're in mortal sin by any means. I mean, definitely people who really know the faith, I would say if you're not sure if you should receive Holy Communion and you've learned the faith, 
then you should. If you don't take any time for catechesis for you or your family, and you're not sure, then you shouldn't, right? So, um, and, and that's the rule I would give, especially since people who go to Latin Mass are historically going to be a little more inclined to scrupulosity than license. That's not to say that everybody who declares themselves to have scrupulosity actually has scrupulosity, because a lot of times someone with a sensitive conscience will go to kind of a lazy priest, and the lazy priest will just be shocked at someone confessing venial sins, and he'll say, oh, you're scrupulous. And then that'll throw the person off from making a good examination in the future. So the thing is this, that there's a difference between a sensitive conscience and a scrupulous conscience. Technically, scrupulosity is when you're not really sure of something. It's not when you're sensitive to offending God. So, like, this is, and this is, this is St. Ignatius of Loyola's definition. He got so scrupulous, he almost committed suicide in that cave in Manresa. So this isn't my own definition. St. Ignatius of Loyola defines scrupulosity when you're really never sure if something's a sin. So let's say, you remember that old phrase, if you step on a crack, you break your mother's back? Remember that? So let's say you're walking down the sidewalk, and you see a crack, and you have that little rhyme in your head, don't step on a crack or you break your mother's back, and then you step on it, and you're like, oh no, did I do that because I want my mom's back to break? Or was that just, there happened to be a rhyme when I stepped in it, or am I not mad, and it was just a coincidence, oh no, and then, and then for the next three hours you're like, well I know my mom's back isn't going to break because I did that, but did I will it? Because I had that song in my head, and then I stepped on the crack. Did I will? Did I curse my mom to have her back break? You see how? Mm-hmm. See how your mind can go for like hours on that? That's scrupulosity. Okay, that's actually scrupulosity. If you happen to confess, uh, you know, I was gossiping with the people at work or something like that, and no mortal sins were revealed. And by once again, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, you guys have heard me preach this before. He says, if you reveal someone's venial sin, you're in venial sin. If you reveal someone's mortal sin, you're in mortal sin. Couple asterisks to that. Uh, public sins don't count against you. Like if you say, my uncle doesn't go to Mass anymore. It's not a good idea to broadcast that your uncle doesn't go to Mass, but it's not a mortal sin because that's a public sin he's committing. And secondly, like an intervention. Like let's say your aunt is an alcoholic and you have to get everybody together to have an intervention. Well, since drunkenness is a mortal sin and you've revealed that, does that mean you're in mortal sin? No. So there's a couple exceptions. But for the most part, if you if you reveal someone's hidden mortal sin that's not public, not for a reason of safety, and I use safety again for the police or something, if you have to like say this person is, you know, an abuser, of course that's that's totally fine. But if you reveal someone's hidden mortal sin just for the sake of gossip and not for the sake of safety, it's considered a mortal sin. You're in mortal sin. If you reveal someone's venial sin, St. Ignatius of Loyola says you're in venial sin. So let's say you just reveal someone's venial sin at work. And you go to a priest and you confess that, and he's like, that's just scrupulosity. Well, I wouldn't suggest you correct the priest in confession, but just between you and me, and I guess anyone listening to this podcast, is, no, that's still a venial sin, and you should repent of that. And, and you know, um, I'm not saying that all conversation is bad, but if you're actually talking about somebody behind their back and it's not revealing serious sins it's probably still a venial sin anyway that was a really long winded way to say there's a difference between scrupulosity and a sensitive conscience so here's what I'm trying to tell you you should have a sensitive conscience if you want to be a saint you need a sensitive conscience but scrupulosity won't get you anywhere because you know who was really scrupulous about the mass and things Martin Luther 
And the pendulum swung so hard to the other side, he died living with a nun. He was a priest who died living with a nun. So it's like if you're, super, if you're so scrupulous that you only care about yourself and your soul and you're so jumpy on everything, it's going to ruin you because scrupulosity is sort of a form of selfishness and it's going to sink you like Martin Luther. So you've you got to... And the other funny thing about scrupulous people is they can be so, so, so worried about like one area of sin and have major mortal sins in these places that they've just created these horse blinders to. They might be like super, super jumpy about lustful thoughts, but just talking about people behind their back, left and right, revealing mortal sins, you know? So it's like scrupulosity can really mess with your spiritual life. This is where it's good to get out the examination of conscience and actually repent of all your sins. And I think that's the call of everybody who lives in the world, is you have to, you have to learn how to not be like, have pious thin-skinned meltdowns at everything around you while offering it up in love for their conversion. Easier said than done, I know. So that's the hard thing about being a lay person in the world is you have to be around really tough environments. You're called a diocesan priest of your family life. You have to endure... Like, I remember I was giving my bags over at, I think it was Denver International Airport, and some guy cussed, and he goes, Oh, sorry, Father. I was like, Well, God's with you all the time. I'm just with you now. So, you know, it's like, it's not about me. I'm looking out for your soul. It's not about me, you know? And that's where we have to be able to do that. Okay, let's keep going here. Did I read the third prayer yet? Let not the partaking? Yeah, oh, I'm halfway through it. But let it, through thy mercy, become a safeguard and remedy for... Sorry, but let it, through thy mercy, become a safeguard and remedy both for soul and body, who with God the Father and the unity of the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth God, world without end. Amen. Okay, then, the community of the priest is this. I actually whisper in Latin, here's the words in English, I will take the bread of heaven and will call upon the name of the Lord. So beautiful. Both from the Old Testament right there. Bread of heaven from Exodus, call upon the name of the Lord from the Psalms. And then, I switch hands with it. So basically, now I'm holding, in my left hand, between thumb and finger number one, both parts of the host and then between finger two and three I'm holding the patent and with my right hand I'm going to be striking my chest as I say Lord I'm not worthy that thou should enter under my roof but say the word and my soul shall be healed Lord I'm not worthy that thou should enter under my roof but say the word and my soul shall be healed Lord I'm not worthy that thou should enter under my roof but say the word and my soul shall be healed and then I switch hands again and I put the body of our Lord Jesus Christ in my right hand and then I cross myself with it now it's Christ blessing me and I say, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve my soul unto life everlasting. Same words I'm going to say as I bless you with the body of Christ, except instead of mayum, it's tuum. Okay, and then I, as I take the chalice, I say this from, I think it's Psalm 116. I should have researched this, but I'm pretty sure it's Psalm 116. What return shall I make to the Lord for all he has given me? I will take the chalice of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Praising, I will call upon the Lord and I shall be saved from my enemies. I actually have that on my ordination card. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve my soul unto life everlasting as I cross myself with that. And at the priest communion... St. Francis de Sales says you should be meditating on Jesus being buried. The prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who is pleased to be buried in a new monument, give me a new heart, so that buried with thee I may attain to the glory of thy resurrection. Grant, O Lord, that what I have... Okay, then there's the distribution of Holy Communion to the people. We're just going to skip that. 
the ablutions, the prayer that I pray is, Grant, O Lord, that what we have taken with our mouth we may receive with a pure mind, and from a temporal gift may it become to us an eternal remedy. May thy body, O Lord, which I have received, and thy blood which I have drank, cleave to my bowels, and grant that no stain of sin may remain in me, who have been fed with this pure and holy sacrament, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I really, really do try to focus on that first of those two oblations that... Um, I may receive with a pure mind what I just received with my body. And this is the wrapping of Jesus, according to St. Francis de Sales. He says, Lord Jesus Christ, who is pleased to be embalmed and wrapped in a clean linen cloth by Joseph and Nicodemus, give me the grace to receive most worthily thy precious body and blood in the holy sacrament of the altar with the heart embalmed with the precious ointment of thy virtues. And actually... This is, we'll rewind here, this is what Francis de Sales says you should meditate upon at the people's communion is actually the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who didst triumphantly issue from the fast-sealed monument, grant that rising from the tomb of my sins, I may walk in newness of life, so that when thou shall appear in glory, I may merit also to appear with thee. So there's two reasons I think it's so important to meditate on the resurrection as you receive the body of Christ. The first is that you're receiving the resurrected body of Christ. That's our faith. The second reason is, remember we talked about what Francis de Sales says, that 12 minutes earlier at the offertory, you you lay your whole life on the altar, especially the things you don't want to hand over, and there's a certain death to yourself. You're kind of empty. Um, I mentioned the oil change. That's right when Jeff's eyes perfect. He's like, yeah, he got it. Jeff Jeff got the oil change. I remember seeing that. And, and, uh, And then when you receive the resurrected body of our Lord... Now you're receiving the new life of the resurrection, right? So that's one reason it's so beautiful to meditate on Christ's resurrection as you receive him. Okay, then the priest is going to say out loud the communion antiphon, unless, ironically, it's the sung mass, because then he just whispers whispers it because the choir will have sung this. And for the mass of the Immaculate Conception, it was, Glorious things are said of you, O Mary, for he who is mighty has done great things for you. Of course, they sing it in Latin, and I whispered in Latin. Or in a low mass, I say it out loud. Okay, then I come to the middle, I say, Dominus Fobiscum. And this is so perfectly timed what Francis de Sales says we should meditate on. This is the uh, second to last Dominus Fobiscum. This is where you meditate on Jesus appearing to his disciples at the resurrection. And the prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who didst gladden the hearts of thy blessed mother and thine apostles by manifesting thyself to them, after thy resurrection, grant that since I cannot be so happy as to behold thee in this mortal life, I may hereafter enjoy the unclouded vision of thy glory. Such a great prayer. Okay, then I come back over to the right side, to the epistle side. I say the post-communion antiphon. That's where I say, O Remus, I bow to the tabernacle. My arms are about eight inches apart. And the words in English for the Immaculate Conception, but in the traditional Latin Mass, is, May the sacrament we have received, O Lord our God, heal us in the wounds of that sin from which by a singular privilege you kept immaculate the conception of Blessed Mary. So it's kind of asking for God to apply, um, well, it's, it's, it's asking God to apply, apply the merits of his passion and death to the forgiveness of our sins because there's also the passion and death of Christ that kept Mary from ever sinning in the first place. Now, if one of these feasts falls in an Advent or Lent, we also need what's called a commemoration. And the Advent commemoration for at least this year for Immaculate Conception, was this. May we receive your mercy, O Lord, in the midst of your temple and thus prepare with due observance for the coming festive season of our redemption. So any time in um, Advent or Lent, 
that there is a feast day that we celebrate, the three parts of the Mass of Advent and Lent that we always have to include, even for first-class feasts, is the opening collect, the secret prayer, and the post-communion. We always have to include those in those three periods. Otherwise, a first-class feast will trump anything else that's happening. Sometimes, if it falls on a Sunday, you have to, um, I think, commemorate, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. Um, At the post-communion prayer, St. Francis de Sales would have us meditate upon Jesus talking to his disciples for those 40 days. So remember, after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, how he talks... (coughs) converses is the word in the translation I saw. Jesus converses for 40 days with his disciples. The prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, who after thy resurrection deigned to converse for 40 days with thy disciples, instructing them in the mysteries of our faith, increase, I beseech thee, my knowledge of those divine truths and confirm my belief in them. Okay, then the last Dominus Fobiscum that you're going to hear, this is where you meditate upon Jesus ascending into heaven. So the last Dominus Fobiscum, before the priest's blessing, you should be meditating upon Jesus ascending into heaven. Why? Because in Acts chapter 1, that's Jesus' final blessing. The prayer that Francis de Sales has for us is, Lord Jesus Christ, who did ascend gloriously into heaven in the presence of thy disciples, grant me to so love thee that I may desire none but eternal joys and aspire to the possession of thee as the first and best of all blessings. Close quote. Okay, then, as you see me say... Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater Filius, Spiritus Sanctus. See me spin around and I bless you. And this is where you meditate upon the descent of the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus Christ, who did send the Holy Ghost on thine apostles while engaged in unanimous and persevering prayer, purify my soul, I beseech thee that the paraclete, finding therein a dwelling well pleasing to him, may adorn it with his gifts and replenish it with his consolations. Close quote. Okay, then the Thanksgiving after Mass, when you're adoring our Lord, and the Church teaches the that... Our Lord is present physically for about 10 minutes. What the church teaches is that when the species of looks, smells, and tastes like bread is dissolved, then our, the physical presence of our, body, of our Lord's body is no longer there. But the church teaches that as long as you live in love, the effusion of grace from that communion continues on. Um, so spiritually, the effusion of grace continues on from your Holy Communion long past the species being dissolved in your stomach. But the species being dissolved in your stomach determines when Jesus of Nazareth in his humanity is still there. And the church has said that's about 10 minutes. So most people don't realize this, but the church is actually not only given a pre-mass fast, but there's actually a post-mass fast. And it's about 10 minutes for this very reason. You don't, so sorry if this sounds sort of impious, but you don't want to slam Jesus with a donut right after mass. You just don't want to do that. And the other thing is, like, Obviously, you never want to be chewing. I would, I would suggest. Now, people might say this is scrupulous, but I would highly suggest you don't brush your teeth or chew gum for a few hours after mass, especially if you're one of the people who chews the the host. Most people who go to Latin mass um, let the host dissolve on their tongue. I don't have a dog in the fight because John chapter six does have Jesus. Not does have Jesus. Say Jesus says. The, the word in Greek for John 16 says, unless you chew on my body, you have no eternal life. But the tradition of the church, at least for the past 500 years, seems to be to have the, the body of Christ dissolve on your tongue. And there does seem to be some advantages to this. Again, you're not flossing out the Lord's body when you're you know done. I don't even let my altar servers blow out the candles after Mass because I'm afraid they're going to spit the 
Holy Eucharist into the candle. So that's one reason I think the church has snuffers instead of that. So, again, not to just encourage um, scrupulosity, but let's be really, really careful with our Lord's body and blood after Mass. I'm, I'm careful, honestly, for a few hours afterwards um, on, on things. So that's... Uh, but anyway, our Lord's still in you. Let's look at the Thanksgiving after Mass. The prayer as you're adoring our Lord in you is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Redeemer of men, I humbly thank Thee for having permitted me to assist today at the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. I beseech Thee through the efficacy of that adorable sacrifice to strengthen me against all temptations and to grant that having served Thee faithfully in this life, I may hereafter attain to the possession of Thy glory. Amen. Okay, so 150 years ago, there, that was the end of the... Oh, there was the final gospel. Um, that's from John chapter 1. We're not going to talk about that today. But 150 years ago, I think that was the end of the Mass. And I want to tell you why we have these three Hail Marys and then the O God, our refuge and our strength, the St. Michael prayer and the most sacred heart of Jesus. I think a lot of you know this, but on October 13th, 1884, which obviously would become uh, the anniversary of the final apparition of Fatima, but this was... This was 20, 30 years before the apparitions of Fatima. But it was still October 13th, and that's really, really important. Because on October 13th, 1884, Pope Leo XIII entered a trance after finishing Mass. So here he is in the Vatican. He's got his train of people. He's just finished Mass, and he enters a trance, which is like an ecstasy. He's, he's um, still physically in the Vatican, but his mind is in the next world. So it probably looks to people like he's in an ecstasy at this point. And he actually saw Jesus and Satan talking. Satan said to Jesus, I can destroy your church. Our Lord, you can? Then go ahead and do so. (coughs) Satan, to do so, I need more time and more power. Our Lord, how much time, how much power? Satan, 75 to 100 years and a greater power over those who will give themselves over to my service. Our Lord, you have the time, you will have the power. Do with them what you will. So that important day of 1884, Pope Leo XIII, right after this, he went to the chapel in his office, right after he saw this vision, and he composed the prayer to St. Michael with the instructions that it be said after low masses everywhere. That's why we do that. It's because of this vision that Pope Leo XIII had of Jesus allowing Satan this time. Now, I agree with Father Richard Heilman. Father Richard Heilman does not believe that 100 years started in 1884. He thinks it started in 1917. He actually believes it started October 13, 1917, and his thesis was that it ended October 13, 2017. And the reason, you know, we didn't see meteors hit earth that day like some people thought I kind of thought we would I'll be honest I thought we were going to see big things happen but I'll tell you I do think we've seen an unveiling of Satan a lot I mean think of how many Hollywood falls there's been think of how many people who were seen as dogs before were vindicated think of how um, we're really seeing a little bit more of evil for what it's worth I really feel in the world we've seen an unveiling of the evil in a certain sense and so I do believe that Father Richard Heilman was right that we didn't see meteors, but there was a real unveiling of evil, especially in this country, um, and, and people are sort of waking up. And so maybe my, my prayer is obviously that that 100 years is done. I think the big theological question is, why would Jesus allow this? And it's the same reason that the Father would allow his son to be crucified, because God would only allow evil so as to bring out of it a greater good 
And that's exactly where we have the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that there's no way you can understand God allowing Satan to just just wipe the floor with Catholics the past hundred years. I mean, just wipe the floor with what people thought the faith was the past hundred years. God would have only allowed that for this great restoration of the church that, that Mary promised in the um, apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success. Um, what was promised in Fatima, that there would be the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And that's why we have this St. Michael prayer and these three Hail Marys. So honestly, for the past three years of doing the Latin Mass, I'll tell you what I pray for, just since I was telling you earlier. The first Hail Mary I do is for the end of abortion. The second Hail Mary I do is for the end of all child trafficking. The third Hail Mary I do is for the total restoration of the church, as Mary promised Blessed Mariana in the 16th century in Ecuador. And honestly, the rest of the whole prayer has just become my begging God for the expediting of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, whatever that means. That's what I pray when I'm on doing the low mass and I'm praying there, the Hail Holy Queen, the St. Michael prayer, the um, our refuge and our strength prayer that I've memorized. All of that I'm just asking God to expedite for the sake of the salvation of souls and so many people being confused on what the Catholic faith is. Just please speed up the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, and I guess just now I realize this is very much tied to that uh, vision. I honestly didn't put that together till literally right now. But you can join me in that if uh, if you want to um, make that your prayer. Any questions? Yes. You did say January 1st is not a day of obligation. In 2018, so even in the traditional Latin Mass, we're still under the 1983 Code of Canon Law where the bishop decides um, if it's a holy day of obligation. And so usually... A Saturday or a Monday sort of subsumed into the Sunday as far as days of obligation. So whether I agree with it or not is irrelevant to the fact that it's not a day of obligation. And so you can certainly go to Mass then. Yes. Um, yes. One of the things I can't find that I can understand, let's put it that way, is resources about Justin Martyr's argument against um, one of the accusations of Christians, which were cannibalism. One, I mean, the, off the top of my head, the two things I would say is it's the church has taught it's an unbloody sacrifice, that, that the Calvary was a bloody sacrifice where the Mass is an unbloody sacrifice. And the second thing is we're not receiving um, the crucified body of Christ, we're receiving the crucified and resurrected body of our Lord. Isn't cannibalism, I mean, you're usually eating... A dead person. A dead. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, cannibalism is eating a dead person, yeah. Which they opened up in Japan. Did you see that? They have the first human flesh restaurant opening in Japan. Yep. This opened up two weeks ago. And it's the requirement it has to be a, a young person who did not die of a disease who's handed over his body and you get something like $30,000. Where do you think that's coming from? I'll give you a hint. It came into t- one of the major things I pray for in this Mass. It's trafficking. It's coming from trafficked people. So it's actually their traffickers getting $30,000 to have a human person. And this, is, this opened up in, um, in Tokyo. And it's, it's public. It's a public restaurant of human flesh that opened in Tokyo this week. And people say human trafficking was something of the past. Well, where is this human flesh coming from? It's between 100 euros and 1,000 euros to eat it. It's open. It's public. It's demonic. It's demonic. Yeah. 
They had a Canadian talk about his experience there, you know? I mean, this isn't even hidden anymore. So what, see what I mean? Evil, even though it seems like evil's getting worse, it's just getting unveiled. Is if you can't wake up with that... It's being accepted. It's being accepted, yeah. But it's also drawing the line in the, in the sand for, I think, people who lived kind of a lazy life in the middle to finally say, you know what, there has to be angelic and diabolical forces in the world at place now if we're doing this. That's why I think there's an unveiling of the evil. Okay, yeah, there was a question back there. You had mentioned that there was two signs you could know if you're in grace. You said the Council of Trent and oh. Thomas Aquinas. Yes, signs. I can't. Okay, so her question was, what are the signs that accompany being in grace? I don't remember them, oh. but, I'm, but I'll tell you, one of the amazing, really, Trent is... Trent is pretty clear-cut and sober, but one of the very beautiful lines in Trent, it says, at absolution, it's usually marked by a feeling of peace. And if I had to guess, I would imagine that um, that sense of peace is one of the signs of that. I think another thing mentioned, either in saints or maybe it's even more doctrinal things, is just a affinity for holy things and wanting to pursue things of God, you know, um, or an aversion to it. It doesn't always, because you can have someone who's possessed, but still in sanctifying grace, and can have an aversion to holy things. That's pretty rare that those things happen, but it is possibly be possessed in the state of grace, and have some aversion to things. But for the most part, for most of us, it's going to be a propensity for holy things and a dis- dislike of evil things, you know. Yes. What's the significance of 1962? Okay, his question is, what's the significance of 1962? Why is her missile so much bigger than mine? <laughs> oh, that's just, that's a, she has a Baronius and you have an Angelus Press. And they're just going to be different, um, they're both 1962 missiles. Yeah. <laughs> that just has, uh, I think, different devotionals, more devotionals. Now, there's also a whole section in the back for all the uh, um, geographical votive masses. Like, there's a whole section for England, Wales, and the United States in the back of that one. So... But 62, I mean, when, when basically Samoan Pontificum in 2007 gave us priests the chance, the choice to either choose the 1962 or the 1969 sacraments. So the 1962 sacraments were the last reformation of sacraments before Vatican Council II. So there was always small things. So like one of the reformations that happened between 1955 and 1962 was the adding of the name Joseph in there. Maybe that was even before that, but I'm pretty sure that happened in the in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s, adding Joseph. Another example is, you know, in the 16th century, there were many more octaves. I mean, a lot of times traditionalists talk about that story of Paul VI and the suppression of the Pentecost octave. Um, but there was, for the past 500 years, we've had the repression of other octaves, like the octave of the Immaculate Conception that just ended a couple days ago. So, so I'm all. It's okay to have organic progressions of changes in missiles. I think the question that people often hold in the 69 one was was there a hermeneutic of continuity or was it a rupture with tradition, right? And I'm not going to answer that, but I'm just going to say that's the big question for traditionalists is was it a rupture or was it an organic development? But obviously the 62 missile is an organic development from the you know, if you look at a 19, 19th century missile, it's almost the same. So the church is always allowed for certain conservative organic developments of the liturgy. So,
So when someone asks me, what do you, I say I do the 1962 sacraments because I don't want them just to think that this is only a mass thing. I mean, if I'm going to go visit somebody at home, I bring them Holy Communion in the old rite. Uh, when I do the divine office, my goal is to do the 1960 divine office when they had the last changes in it. It was 1960. Um, if I do anointing of the sick or last rites for somebody, they should know that whether I do it in English or Latin, it's going to be the 1962 sacraments, right? So we as priests can choose either the 1962 or the 1969 sacraments. So in other words, those are the last two major changes of the sacraments in the Catholic Church, and we can choose either of those. Other questions? Yes. Um, at the prayers after the uh, consecration, uh, the commemoration of the dead, it says, with the sign of faith and sleep, and the sleep of peace, is that the physical body sleeping? And is that what that's... That's a great question. So he's asking about... Jonathan, right? Jeremy. Jeremy, sorry. Why I was going to Jeremy's asking about um, the sleep that belongs to the dead. And this goes back not only to the early church, but to Christ in the Bible, that when Jesus says that somebody dead is asleep, it's because anybody who's dead around him is only asleep because he's that powerful with life. So if you go to like a Russian Orthodox funeral, they won't even use the word death. It's just sleep. He's just asleep for a short time until the resurrection of the body, right? And I think some people have thought, oh, this, this shows how stupid Christians are. They didn't know how to tell the difference between cardiac arrest and something else, you know. But it's just like Jesus when he walks into the 12-year-old child who's dead. He says she's not dead. It's not that Jesus doesn't know that she doesn't have a heartbeat. He's saying, in me, there is only sleep for those who don't experience the second death. The second death is what Apocalypse calls hell. So we all have to experience, including Jesus, have to experience by his own volition, not by necessity, we all have to experience the first death. But the second death is hell, which we don't have to. And because the first death has all the sting taken out of it, we don't even refer to it as death. And that's, I didn't catch that, but that's a beautiful insight. Because I always think of the divine liturgy of the churches of the East mentioning death as sleep and never using it. But that's a, that's a really beautiful um, uh, thing that you remind us of that death is only sleep and it's even in the Roman canon. And actually, if you go to a traditional Latin mass, uh, funeral mass, the preface, actually they kept it in the Novus Ordo too. It's one of my favorite lines in both the new funeral mass and the ancient funeral mass. It's, for in you, life is changed but not ended. Isn't that beautiful? Life is changed but not ended. And that's in the preface for the funeral mass in both the traditional Latin mass and the new one because um, it's a transformation, not the end.